I want to talk about it with you, Martha. So <laughs> I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. But first, first we have to get through Ooh. this movie. <laughs> I literally almost texted you, Martha, is this worse than after? You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming rom-coms and, the, and teen cinema. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, uh, library manager and YA lit enjoyer, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Maren Hagman, uh, adult services librarian uh, and romance novel consumer, and dare I say, like, don't want to say expert, I guess, but enthusiast. I was going to say, I avoided using the word enthusiast because I know that that's typically your word. Oh, that's true. I do, <laughs> I do, I do like that word. So, yeah, we'll go with it. All right. So we are here today to talk about All Summer's End, a 2017 movie that I honestly don't know where it debuted, uh, but I watched it on Hulu. So I don't... I. I don't know if this was a hulu original um or not but that is certainly where you can find it now uh all summer's end was uh written and directed by kyle willimowski and it stars uh ty sheridan as conrad stevens caitlin deaver as grace turner austin abrams as hunter gorski uh annabeth gish as grace's mother mrs turner Paula Malcolmson as Conrad's mother, Mrs. Stevens, Bo Mershoff as Eric Turner, Ryan Lee as Tim, Bill Sage as Mr. Turner, and a whole bunch of other people playing various uh, teens at different points of the movie. <laughs> Marin, would you like to give us a brief synopsis of this film? Sure. Uh, so this film is about Conrad. Um, and it is narrated by an older version of Conrad who describes uh, a summer uh, wherein he um, falls in love with a girl named Grace. Um, but also, you know, is, is going through a transition with his two best friends. And I think we're meant to believe they're like young in high school, like maybe like 16 um and yeah they don't they don't have driver's license yet licenses yet okay that's yeah i was like i know they're yeah they're pretty yeah they're pretty young in high school um and one night uh they are stealing uh ornaments off of people's lawns um conrad steals um a plant from grace's porch uh grace's brother chases them down uh, the boys swerve to avoid a deer, but Eric hits the deer, crashes into a tree, uh, is very badly injured. Uh, Conrad argues that they need to call for help, uh, but his two friends say uh, he'll be fine, he's breathing, somebody will come along. Um, and so they leave uh, and learn the next day that uh, Grace's brother died. Um, and... Um, Conrad kind of ditches his friends in favor of building up, uh, his relationship with Grace. Um, they, 
you know, we come closer. He shows her his, like, secret hideaway. Um, they lose their virginity to each other. Um, and uh, this all comes to a head uh, when um, Conrad, uh, or Grace has a fight with her parents, um, flees to find Conrad, and then Conrad tells her the truth. Um, that he was involved in her brother's death, um, and the walls came crumbling down, uh, and then we get a flash forward and see Conrad, an older Conrad on his porch with his son, um, and he has named the son after Grace's brother, uh, Fade to Black. Yeah, this movie... Um, this movie, this, this movie. Um, so the good, like seeing Caitlin Deaver, I'm starting to think that she should get a different agent because I very rarely think that the projects we watch her in are up to how good she is. <laughs> See, I actually don't think she's very good here. Uh, and, well, and I would I, not I, blame I, her. I, I blame a weak script, but. No, uh, the other thing, the other thing I blame is the black hole of charisma that is Ty Sheridan. Mm, yeah, I I can only imagine how difficult it must be to act opposite the deep talent suck of that <laughs> actor. Like truly, I don't think he reacts to anything in this movie. Yeah. Grace is, like, falling over herself to be in love with this guy, and I'm just like, girl, why? Yeah. He's giving you nothing. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I had trouble with that one. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, I, I think who deserves the most credit in this film uh, is the cinematographer, because this film looked beautiful. It did look very good. So, cinematographer, this... you did a great job. <laughs> so... The summertime movie is one of my favorite teen movie subgenres because I feel like they always look great. Mm. Like they always take place in little towns that I'm like, I would take a vacation there. I would spend a long weekend there. Like they always look so good. There's a lot of golden hour sunlight. Mm -hmm. um, in this one, we get some like good woodsy action. Yeah, there's a lot of greenery. Um, yeah, so I do enjoy just the, the in general, the summertime vibe of a movie like this. Um, and I gotta tell you, I, I feel a lot of sympathy for Grace because her vibe with Conrad was very reminiscent of my vibe with my first serious boyfriend. Mm. Like, I was deeply emotive in all sorts of inappropriate ways <laughs> as a high schooler. And I was in a very serious relationship for a couple of years with a guy who just was not that, was not that effusive. So I, I felt a lot of empathy for this girl who's like, I've decided that you and I are going to be in love. And the guy just being like, all right, <laughs> like, <laughs> That was a dynamic that I have encountered before and, you know, could could 
empathize with um but also like girl yeah the fact that <laughs> get she your, like get yourself together she literally went up to him and says i've decided you're going to be my first love I which think, is a very it's a very teen girl thing to say yeah i think my eyes bugged out of my head like oh boy oh yeah no um, that was yeah <laughs> um yeah it was just she was a character that i i that resonated with me i see a lot of my my teen self and the the guy i was with at that point in that whole deal gotcha gotcha and again i just thought that like like and i know caitlin deaver is a good actor but i just thought that like yeah and nothing in here was serving her so i just didn't even caitlin deaver who i kind of expected to at least like somewhat you know break through this i just was like i mean oh, girl i know you can do better like i don't disagree with you like i i I definitely think that the material is not serving almost... The, the material doesn't serve anyone in this yeah. movie. I mean, even Austin Abrams, who plays one of Conrad's friends. Like, we have seen him be very charming and other and charismatic in other things. And even in this, he was, like, completely well, blank-faced. Like... Now I have to go and see, because the name is familiar to he, me. He was in Dash and Lily um, and Chemical Hearts. Oh, he's the guy. He's a good actor. He, okay, him as a baby in this movie, like, did not, did not look like himself at all. He did not. And I literally had to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Spidey senses tingling who is that and look it up because yeah he was he was unrecognizable enough that i did have to check. yeah because he plays he plays the jerk friend right i believe so. the one who's like we should leave yep. <laughs> we should leave this unconscious man in his car yep um which wow that was that was a wild choice seriously um, and i i did one thing to this movie's credit I did enjoy that at the end, he, like, the movie never let him just be, like, a complete monster of a teen. Like, at the end, he, like, showed some empathy. He being? Uh, the Austin Abrams character. Like, he ah. speaks to, like, he apologizes to Grace. That's true. Yeah. So I did appreciate that. I, I... I'm always glad when a movie doesn't, you know, gives a character some depth. Or maybe I was just reaching for something. Of no, I, I, was I, like, I see oh, that. You're finally doing something with this character. Okay. Because he's like, just he is... terrible for no reason. <laughs> I mean, he's terrible because he's a teen boy and he's trying to protect himself. Like, he's... Yeah. All, of the, all of the kids in this movie are, like, very narcissistic and short-sighted because that's what teens are yeah um but i agree i appreciated that he does kind of get over himself enough to apologize to grace yeah. at the end even though he doesn't tell her what for because right 
that's fine. Um, but he's, I mean, I almost would have appreciated knowing a little bit more about what was going on with him because mm -hmm. he did come across, like, he's, he's very angry about a lot of things. And I think it could have made him more interesting if we had found out if, if the movie hadn't just been like, he is angry because he's a teenager. Like if, right. if the movie had bothered to get, to let me get to know him a little bit. Right. Um, I felt like that could have been, that could have been interesting. Um, but the movie doesn't really care about letting you get to know anyone. Like no. I, I would be hard pressed to tell you any sort of personal facts about literally anyone in this movie. Yeah, it's very, I think that it is trying to say something universal by, like, lacking specificity, but by doing that, it just, yeah, makes the char characters caricatures. Like, for example, when does this movie take place? Like, we can do some kind of math and say, okay, well... You know, his son looks like he's, like, a tween. So this movie probably takes place, like, somewhere in the range of 10 to 15 years ago. Most of the fashions look, like, mid-aughts. But then, wait a minute, Caitlin Deaver is wearing a dress from Target I literally bought in 2013. <laughs> like, literally, I found a picture of me, that stripy dress she goes to church in. Mm -hmm. Literally owned that dress. Bought it summer 2013. So I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like this movie. I feel like they should have just set this movie in the 80s. Mm. Like the flashbacks. Because then it would be more believable to me that a group of like 14 year olds are taking a car out for a joyride. And no one would have had a cell phone. Right. And I'm sitting here being like, well, why doesn't someone just call 911 on their cell phone? Like, there's no good reason that all three of those kids didn't have a phone. But if you'd made it just a throwback movie and set it in the 80s, boom, that's why they didn't call for help because no one had a phone. So they would have had to, like, go and get someone and bring them back. Or even they if couldn't... they had just specified that it was, like... 2004 and you know like a time when people you know a good chunk of people still didn't have cell you know if they had grappled with the like oh none of us have a cell phone yet oh you know yeah or like my mom won't let me get a phone right something right because yeah yeah this even if this movie is set in 2005 it makes complete sense to me that three teenage boys wouldn't have a phone um, I mean, most oh yeah, of my, I didn't, but like they didn't specify it. <laughs> like, you need to say that. Yes, I agree. Um, I don't understand why people, why people who make movies like this feel like a lack of specificity is a good thing. I, I mean, I know, I know people are generally worried about like specific technology dating their movie, but also, I think that that can help you position your movie. Like, it gives your movie context. Right. And I I feel like context is a good thing to have, even if that means that eventually people will watch your movie and be like, look at those old cell phones. Right. And I, I think that 
I mean, it's so odd because on one hand, this movie feels to me like this writer-director had this experience and so is trying to communicate this very specific experience that he had. But at the same time, like, is trying to generalize and universalize it. And... And instead of bothering to give it, like, the texture that is needed to, like, create a specific world that's far enough removed from an autobiography. Yeah, and I am very much of the school of thought where the more the more specific that you go, it actually makes your story more relatable. Because either people will be able, like, so, two things. People's experiences are never as unique as they think that they are. Mm -hmm. Like, there is always somebody out there who has experienced something similar or that can connect the story that you're telling to something that they experienced. And the more specific you can get, I feel like the more you give people a chance to resonate with what you're, with the kind of story that you're telling. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you go too not too general you don't give anybody anything to hang on to like it's the weird details that people can go oh well like this specific thing isn't like something i experienced but it is similar enough that i can kind of fill in my own details like i can overwrite my own details with what you have told me but you still have to provide the skeleton for people to do that on does that make sense yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Because, yeah, the problem is just, like, when you don't give characters that specificity, they just become caricatures. And, um, so even, so, like, I would, I would say I actually, like, didn't relate to Grace very much as a character. And I probably would have related to her more if they had brought in you know like uh maybe she is worried about like signing up for her math class in the fall or like maybe she i'm thinking like mid-aughts things they could have put in there like maybe she has a walkman and like walks to sam goody to get the latest cd you know like all those kind of things that it's like, oh, even though, like, I was not this type of teenager, like, I recognize kind of those, like, very specific experiences of this time period. Or if they had said in the 80s, like, you know, 80s yeah, I'm a, things. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little shocked that neither Grace or Conrad got, like, at least one quirky character trait mm -hmm. like particularly particularly grace like usually the manic pixie dream girl gets to like be really into a weird indie band or like maybe Play she really likes or she really likes drawing airplanes or like something literally anything right and or she wants to like go to school in boston and grace has nothing yep like and neither does Conrad. Like, he doesn't even... What band... What early aughts band posters are hanging in his room? We yeah. don't know. Yeah. We don't know. So yeah. I thought that there was... I thought that there were a lot of missed opportunities to give our characters, like, literally any kind of defining features. 
which might have made them like more interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like well, and even like considering, like even with the parents, like you know, we only see like here they've lost a child. Like the moment that felt the most uh, specific and emotionally resonant in the film was uh, Grace's parents getting in the car to go pack up their dead son's dorm room. Yes. And that's all because you're like, oh, yeah. Like, their 19-year-old son just died. He has a dorm room full of stuff. And, like, even then they didn't even, like, show the parents. Like, there was, like, a quick moment of the dad getting into the car and a friend clearly coming along to help. But, like... Yeah, it was just so blank, and we just had, like, a couple scenes later with, like, her parents looking sad. I also thought it was weird. So, I don't know if you caught this, but there is, at the very beginning of the movie, Conrad tells us that his dad left? His dad died? His dad I was left. confused the whole film. I could well, not tell. So, his, his dad is not there. But he has a line early in the movie when he says, my mother clung to me, like my, like my mother's reaction to that, to my dad either leaving or dying, I truly don't remember which, was to cling to me all the more tightly. Mm -hmm. And then we proceed to not see that ever happen. Like, as far as I can tell, he just comes and goes as he pleases and like... Every once in a while, his mom will emerge and be like, oh, I thought we were going to do stuff today. Oh, well, see you later. And, like, I, I, it was a very weird way for them to play that because they're also playing the, like, single mom working all the time to support her son. And both of these are valid things. But he made such a specific... Like, it was such a specific line that I then did not feel they utilized at all. Right. Well, and the fact that we can't even, and I don't even think it's that we can't remember whether his dad left them or was dead. I don't think it was clear. Because it, um, like, there's a pic, they flash to the picture of his dad still on the wall in a military uniform. So it's like, wait, did his dad... I bet he died. I bet his dad died. But and like, the movie just, like, wasn't... I think they said, like, my dad was gone or something. Like... Yeah, yeah something it is, stupid. It was not like, clear. I literally remember <laughs> thinking as that line happened. I was like, wait a minute. What does that mean? Let your characters be characters. Let them be people. Let yeah. them have, like inner lives and motivations and histories. And I felt like no one in this movie had any of that. Nope. Nope. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, was, I mean, the fact that we're not even like. I could not even be bothered to like get as angry as I think I was supposed to be at them leaving her brother. I just kind of was like, huh. That seemed, like, that seems unmotivated. But then again, I don't know what any of y'all's motivations are. 
So, okay. I did believe that as a truly stupid piece of bad judgment. Like, I, I believed that stupid teen boys would do that. I just did not connect emotionally with anyone in this movie enough to care, I guess. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing. But it just, it was just like, this movie and did also, not, I intellectually understood that, like, this is what can motivate them. But this movie did not convince me in any way, shape, or form that, like, these particular teens would do. Correct. Yeah. And it, it is interesting watching this after Summer 03, mm. which was another movie that dealt in a sort of bizarre way with, like, intense feelings of grief and, you know, weird things to feel blame for. And that movie, even though I did not find watching that movie to be a wholly pleasant experience, it at least had personality. Right. Like... Joey King is at least playing a character that has specific like wants and desires and like has even though I think yeah and even though I think we should stop writing characters as Harry Potter fans because JK Rowling probably gets paid every time someone says her name like she at least had something that we could point to to say oh she likes this thing And it just it just really bothered me that like no one in this movie has tastes like nobody has preferences. There's there's nothing that anybody in this movie like enjoys or is seen to enjoy. Don't we usually get a a scene where the two teen love interests are like listening to some terrible indie band because one of them wants to show it off to the other. We couldn't even get that, guys. Like, I, come I think, on. I think the placeholder is supposed to be him showing her the treehouse, but I'm like, who cares? <laughs> like, Yeah. Well, and they did not, they did not invest the treehouse with any, with enough like personal significance to make that a significant scene. Right. Like we had just seen, we'd seen the boys, be there but it is not until conrad takes um grace to it that he's like and this was our clubhouse as children and my dad helped us build it and all of this and i'm like that's cool but because i don't feel anything for you as a character this emotionally resonant story is not emotionally resonant for me like it became a it became sort of a snake eating its own tail yeah like, even the places where the movie tried to get me to care, I'm like, well, you didn't do it before, so why should I care now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it just didn't do the basic things you need to do in storytelling. Yeah, I feel like I've been watching a lot of movies recently where I just sit there and, and like, the big question is why? Why is any of this happening? Mm. Why, Grace, why are you spending any time with this boy who, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, who is giving no appearance of, like, feeling anything for anything? Yeah. Um, It was just one big pout. Yes, a pout and a squint seemed to be... Sheridan's main acting modes. Well, and considering a pout and a squint. The main things I've seen him in being uh, those uh, X Men movies where his eyes are covered. 
was like, oh. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen any of the ones with him in them. I did not see the, um... He's in uh, Dark Phoenix and oh, what's the one before that with Oscar Isaac? Age of Apocalypse. Uh, Age yeah. of Apocalypse. Apocalypse, yeah. Yeah, I watched that when I was homesick on the sofa and slept through most of it. And every time I would wake up, I felt like I was losing my mind and then I would go back to sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> not an optimal way to watch that movie. It's well, not an optimal movie, so I think that's fine. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, but no, I was thinking about it, I was like, huh, his eyes are completely covered in that movie. Like, all he's got is the smirk. Did not love the smirk. No. Nope. Did not endear me to him. It did not. It did not. Yeah, I did spend most of the movie thinking that he was someone else, and now I don't even remember who I thought he was. You know what I did think about, though? I was like, huh, I've got a, I've got a great casting decision. Uh, if there's a director who could actually, like, you know, get a good performance out of him, they really could cast him as, like, Ezra Miller and Barry Keenig's brother. Like, those three could play brothers. Do we think that there's an altern- alternatively cast version of this movie that works better? Like Ooh. if we cast if we cast other people that have more personality, do we think that that helps this movie? Oh, and that is a good question. Um well, that's an interesting proposition considering so um Pablo Schreiber, who I like quite a bit, uh is playing the older version of conrad and i think he does a nice you know he does as good a job as anyone can do in this movie um although i think they could have cut every single line of voiceover that mm -hmm. he has they could have they could have cut all of his voiceover and the movie would have lost nothing yeah that's probably true I don't love I don't love a voiceover exposition. I kind of think that if you're relying on that to help tell your story, then you're not doing a very good job of telling your story. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the purpose of a um you know, voiceover is to like give us I mean, I, I think that the intention of this voiceover to give us, like, the reflection is good. Because um, I, I do think voiceovers, especially in movies um, about childhood and young adulthood, can work when they are there to, like, bring that element of wisdom um, and reflection. But you have to do it really well. Like, not many do movies do it well. Um, I just, I think that it gets used as a crutch for lazy writing. Like, I, I feel like it frequently, and I felt this way about this movie, is that instead of, like, instead of writing it into the movie, they're relying on the voiceover mm. to, like, give me that emotional resonance. And I'm like, well, you, you didn't do a good enough job building this into the fabric of your movie so now yeah. you're relying on this 
Also, every time he talked, I thought he was Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> I, when I looked him up on IMDb, I was kind of shocked that it was not Timothy <laughs> Oliphant. Yeah. No, I think, and maybe I'm like specifically thinking about, um, weirdly enough, uh, The Wonder Years. Did you ever watch The Wonder Years? No, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, like I think The Wonder Years actually does a really good job with like sprinkling the an older version of the main character um and um i mean you know, i also think that scrubs does this very well too right right like i i there are there are places in which it is effective and maybe i just like it better for tv mm. um i just like four times out of five, if it shows up in a movie, it feels lazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, I think it has to be done well. And I, I think what it has to do, and I think what this movie tries to do, but it doesn't do it well, is I think that it needs to, that narrator need, narration needs to be there for reflection. It needs to tell us, it doesn't need to recap what's happening on screen, but it needs to tell us. Correct. Like, you know, or like another show that does this really well is called The Midwife. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's yeah, it's narrated by a very older, much older version of the character, and and she does it does a really great job of saying, "Yep, this is how I felt then. This is like how this because it's a lot of like medical problem of the week." So mm-hmm. so it does sometimes deliver us information about, like, this is what happened. But it also wraps it in the, like, here's also my reflection on this experience. Sure. Yeah. Which I think is what you have to do. And I think this movie tries to, like, shorthand that. And it doesn't work. Yeah, I think this movie would have been more effective if they had just bookended the movie with that narration. Yeah. Like if oh, it had yeah. just been if it had just been to open up the story and like ease us into the flashback and then to cap the story and bring mm-hmm. us back to the present rather than also having the bits sprinkled through where it's like, I am now going to tell you the moral for the thing you just saw in which if you're a savvy movie watcher, you probably already understood. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think it. uh Yeah. Because is it. I'm trying to remember if Stand By Me has whole way through narration or if it is just at the beginning and the end. It's been a lot of time since I've seen Stand By Me. I have never seen Stand By Me, so I can't help you. Okay. I feel like there is a movie, and I think it's Stand By Me, where, like, the narration ends with something about, like, and you never have friends like those childhood friends. Sure. Um, and yeah, it's that like feels very that powerful. feels appropriate. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, yeah, it just I don't know. I feel like this was like a a box mix of a movie where they tried to like throw some things in the blender with some milk and eggs and just fell flat. There wasn't any flavor there. Yeah, what else came out this year?
because this also feels very much like a we're trying to capitalize on mm. some kind of well summer 03 was the next year okay yeah i because yeah this felt very much like the generic version of a different movie mm-hmm. um what came out in 2016 this is very engaging podcasting <laughs> yeah i don't know i'm sure something came out close to it that it was like this is what we're trying to emulate because mm-hmm. um, yeah that is what this one felt like to me it's like they took something that was more successful than this filed off the serial number and like yeah did a did a more generic version of of whatever it was they did a divergent yeah kinda only with even less personality <laughs> At least, at least Triss gets a tattoo. <laughs> uh, anything else that we want to say about this movie? I think, unfortunately, this movie is so bad, there's not much else we can... I would say still not the worst movie we've ever watched. I don't know, it's close. I was going back through our the letterbox list that I keep of all the movies that we watch. Mm-hmm. And there are some movies that I just straight up don't remember watching. <laughs> it's like, well, I logged that and we probably did an episode on it. Could I tell you literally anything about it? Nope. <laughs> Um. All right. Well, Martha, what would you recommend people watch instead of this movie? I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, please do something with your time other than watch this movie. So I'm actually, I have a book to recommend today. Uh-huh. Um, so the book I'm going to recommend is Goodbye Days by Jeff Zentner. And just a forewarning... This one's going to make you cry a lot. Uh, But it is the story of Carver, who is a teen who has to deal with um, the guilt he feels because three, his three best friends died before the book starts in a car accident that Carver believes he was at least partially responsible for causing because he texted them when he knew that they were in the car driving to pick him up. Um, and the book is about how he deals with managing the grief of that and what he starts to do. The grandmother of one of his friends asks Carver to have a goodbye day for her grandson, um, where he goes and he does like, he has a day that he does all of the things that he and his friend Blake would have done together in remembrance of Blake. So he starts to do, he starts to have goodbye days for all of his friends. And then the book is about how that is kind of received by their friends and family and how he processes his grief, um, from 
from kind of how he processes his grief and survivor's guilt from uh, the aftermath of this accident. Uh, Jeff Sentner writes truly effective and deeply moving YA books about death and grief and bereavement. Um, I, I just, you know, warn you up at the top yeah. <laughs> that they are very, very rough stuff, but also like really, really beautiful, um, powerful stories. What about you? What would you recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I would recommend, and I, I'm sure I've recommended this author before, um, but this is actually maybe my favorite of hers. Um, but it also deals with uh, love interests um, being involved in love interest brother's car crash. Um, and it's called Steadfast by Serena Bowen. Um, and it actually takes place several years after the car crash. Um, and, uh, Jude is, has gotten out of jail for, uh, vehicular manslaughter, um, and is trying to just keep on the down low and get his life back together, um, and, and stay sober. Um, and he runs back into, uh, Sophie, who, um whose brother was killed uh in this car accident um yeah and so they kind of can't help orbiting around each other and it's a very you know emotional second chance romance um deals a lot with yeah sobriety um so this is a, a good one for anyone who thinks that romance novels can't touch on really deep and and dark twisty things um and handle them very deftly. Um, I would, I would recommend this novel. Um, so yeah, Steadfast by Serena Bowen. Fantastic, and I'm recommending Goodbye Days by Jeffrey Zentner. Marin, what are we watching for next time? Yeah, so for next time we are going to watch the new Amazon Prime original "I Want You Back," uh, starring Charlie Day and Jenny Slate and. And a whole bunch of other very attractive people. Very excited about this one. Um, if you are looking for more content to consume until then, you should check out our sister podcast, Did You Do Your Homework, which updates on this same feed on alternating weeks. And I host with Marin's husband, Pete. Our most recent episode was about depictions of faith in pop culture, both serious and satirical. And our next episode, because Pete humors me way too often, is going to be our Oscars predictions episode, which I'm very excited about <laughs> because I have a disease. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can also catch me right now talking about all of the Oscar Best Picture nominations in a short uh, YouTube series that I'm doing with a friend of the show, Dan Carlin, on YouTube at SOOL Radio. Uh, and you can catch me on social media on all the places at Magical Martha, including the newsletter that I write whenever I feel like it, which you can find at tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. Marn, where can people find you? Um, folks can find me on Twitter uh, at A underscore star underscore danced. 
uh, where I mostly tweet about romance novels these days. You know, whatever gets us through the day. (laughs) I believe that is going to do it for us. Thank you all so much for listening. And we will see you back again in just a short couple of weeks. And until then, just remember that we love you. I guess I forgot to put a spoiler warning at the top of this, but it's from 2017. So it's not that new. I don't think. Well, thank you, Marin, for watching this. (laughs) Thank you, Martha. I'm glad I literally like I. I do feel like we are starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel a little bit in terms of teen movies, but. You know, we'll see. (laughs) Well, in this one, I was glad to have it to talk about. Because I definitely, like, I think I even told Pete, I was like, oh, I really want to go on a rant about this movie. So thank God I can (laughs) talk to Martha about it, because oh my God. Excellent. (laughs) What did I just watch? What did I just watch? Um, Well, hopefully I want you back as at least entertaining. I think so. It just, it, it runs into the problem of there's a much better movie hidden in it. So. Gotcha. Which we will obviously get into. But yes, it is far more watchable than this. Awesome. All right, friend. I will talk right. to you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Good luck with the moving. Thank you. It, it's, someday it will be done. <laughs> someday <laughs> it will be finished. It will. It will. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.